Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. I'm Mitch Sherman. Scott Docterman is with me. If it's Wednesday, we are talking about the West. And this is the final week of the regular season. Of course, as we've all seen, there is nothing regular about this season, and especially its final two weeks. What we've got on tap Saturday was supposed to be something like Thanksgiving weekend in December, the way it was drawn up for schedule version 1.0. But on Tuesday of this week, Michigan announced that it is unable to play Saturday against Ohio State because of a COVID-19 outbreak inside the football program in Ann Arbor. This is just a seismic moment, Scott, for the Big Ten. The first year since 1917 amid World War I that these two rivals will not have played. It has ramifications throughout college football, and will ultimately impact several teams here in the West. What is your reaction to this latest round of news in the league? You know, it normally would be disbelief, but in this crazy year, it's not, which is kind of unfortunate. The one thing I look at is um, when you take that step back and you go, wow, the signature game in the Big Ten every year will not be played since World War One. Um you know, since 1917. But then also, when you take a further step back and you realize that Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, it also is not played, or at least not scheduled at this point. Indiana, Purdue is on the ropes. Um, three, the three most long-standing rivalries in the Big Ten are in jeopardy of not being played this year, and it just shows you the casualties that we're dealing with in in Big Ten country and. Uh, and then, you know, part the other part is, what's the Big Ten going to do about this? Because it has a championship contender in Ohio State. Does it reschedule the game? Or uh, does it reschedule a game or change the schedule? Uh, does it write it out? Does it change? Do the athletic directors change the rules this morning to enable Ohio State to participate in the in the Big Ten championship game? I think this is all, it's all fascinating, but it's all kind of chaotic at the same time. Yeah, we're taping this here on Wednesday morning right before the the podcast is going to post just so we would be able to uh, be up with the most the most current news and and as we're sitting here talking what Big 10 athletic directors are on a call to discuss what to do about Ohio State and and really the options are to find some way to let the Buckeyes play that's option 1 this weekend and get up to that 6 game threshold that is currently the requirement to play on December 19th in the Big Ten title game, or to just change the rule and allow the Buckeyes to be off this week without Michigan able to play and and make it into the, into the Big Ten title game with five wins. Of course, they could also say we're not changing the rule and Indiana is going to play in the Big Ten title game. By the way, the Hoosiers announced on Tuesday that they've got COVID issues there in Bloomington themselves. So who knows if Indiana will be available to play on the 19th, let alone this weekend against Purdue on December 12th, as you mentioned. It's just, it's just, it's like one big giant mess in the league. And, and it's got to be really interesting um, what's happening on that, uh, on that call this morning. Yeah, it is. And that's what makes it so unusual, historical in some ways, but also just it's such a mess. And one thing I want to know, you covered Nebraska, Mitch, is what would be the reaction out of Lincoln from Bill Moose, from the the, the Nebraska football team, 
the hierarchy there and the fans if the Big Ten allowed Ohio State to schedule a game and it doesn't even have to be within the Big Ten? Well, if Ohio State said, if, if the Big Ten says, okay, Ohio State, we're going to pitch you against Maryland um, and Rutgers, well, you're going you're gonna to need to sit out this week. Are you, are you, you, not that scenario, a different scenario. If that's the case, then I think Nebraska people would be fine with it. Tennessee Chattanooga. Right. <laughs> Just let's randomly pick a team. Tennessee yeah. Chattanooga. <laughs> how about, how about um, Ohio? There you Ohio. go. Uh, Ohio is, is off this week because Kent has canceled on the Bobcats right there in state. Um, it's realistic. Uh, as realistic as you, as as you can get in when it with it being Wednesday of of game week, um, you know honestly I, I think there would be a, a segment of the Nebraska uh, fan base maybe that that vocal um, corner of people who who raise a stink on on Twitter um, that would that would scream about that because of what the Big Ten did to Nebraska what it said to Nebraska when the Huskers wanted to schedule Chattanooga. Um, you know, a month ago, more than a month ago now. But Ohio State and Nebraska have been partners, um, at least as Nebraska people see it. I think as Ohio State people see it since the beginning of this mess with scheduling in the Big Ten. So if it's Ohio State that's benefiting from a change of the rules at the last minute, you know, Nebraska fans are, are going to roll their eyes for sure. I think Bill Moose is going to be, <laughs> hey, we need to have a talk, uh, somebody in the Big Ten. But I don't think that the, 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 um, the level of steam coming from the collective heads in, in Lincoln is going to be maybe as um, significant as what you might think because it's Ohio State. And look, the Buckeyes are in this spot, not because of issues in their program, it's because of what happened at Michigan um, this week. And, and, and Ohio State has a two-game edge on Indiana right now. Um, even if Ohio State were to play this week and lose, it still is the East representative in the championship game next week. So I know we're talking about two different things, the potential of a non-conference game and Ohio State's ability to get into the Big Ten title game. But uh, I don't think anything that happens with Ohio State, if the league is looking to help Ohio State, would, would, would collectively anger Nebraska people too much more um, than, than what we're already seeing right now. And, and, and a question for you, Scott. If Ohio State is able to get a – somehow, I don't think it's going to happen, but if Ohio State somehow did get a non-conference game this weekend, maybe they played on Sunday um, to give them one more day to prep, What's that going to do for the Buckeyes college football playoff bid again to play Ohio or, or you know, some team that's available right now? Is, is it going to help at all? No, it's not. I mean, it's really about the consternation of just the, the entire process. And, uh, you know, I, I think the Big Ten could parse it this way to save some faces. Uh, now, granted, if this would have been Wisconsin that needed that extra game, that would have probably been a different animal for the Nebraska folks. <laughs> I think imagine. so, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but I also think that, look, that was week two. We Nobody knew anything about what the season was going to entail over the next six, seven weeks. Now that you're at the season finale, and the fact is that Ohio State is the best team in the league. It carries the highest profile. And, and the, the, let's not – Forget the fact that the college football playoff 
provides significant revenue to the league if it gets a team in that. So in a year where revenue is uh, microscopic compared to before, I mean, you need that. So I think any kind of avenue to try to help Ohio State reach some sort of goal and get them in the playoff is important for this league um, to ensure that it generates that revenue, that prestige. And I'm sure, but I also think that the, the league needs to do Nebraska a solid. And whether it's, I don't know if it's a public apology. I don't know if it's something that effect of, hey, we're going to let Nebraska do X. You know, maybe it's, you know what, if you want to play Minnesota on New Year's Day at home, you can. And you can have fans too. You know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I think it's a home game next week and then maybe a, uh, a push in the back a bit toward a postseason game if Nebraska is able to get to four and four. Um, if Nebraska wins Absolutely. against Minnesota on the 12th and beats Rutgers next week and, and they're on the, the fence uh, for a bowl, a, a bowl invitation as, as some bowls cancel, the Big Ten could throw out around its weight just a bit to, uh, to help, help Nebraska get into the postseason for the first time since, since 2016. That, that would be, I think, what you're talking about here. And I, and I, I, I smiled just a bit when you, when you mentioned, hey, it was a long time ago. It was week two when that uh, proclamation was made about no non-conference games and nobody knew what was going to happen. There was that prophetic statement from the Nebraska administration about how, how somewhere down the road there may be uh -huh. another team that needs the data point for, for college football playoff consideration. And you, know, you can look at that now and say, wow, um, that, was, uh, that was interesting that Nebraska brought that up. That Nebraska incurred a lot of ridicule at that point because there were some in the, in the media who said, what's Nebraska even talking about the college football playoff for? And, of course, the Huskers were not talking about themselves as a uh, CFP contender. It was more um, Ohio State or Wisconsin at the time that looked like that kind of a team. And here we are with the Buckeyes needing that help. Although, again, I don't think there's anything Ohio State can do out of conference this week or next week that could boost its, its CFP resume unless it were to schedule somehow a game against another in-state team in Cincinnati. Um, even then, um, Ohio State, if it wins out, I don't think there's any doubt. As long as Ohio State plays somebody here in the next two weeks and it wins – it's getting in. If it's undefeated, they're not going to leave the Buckeyes out. So um, there shouldn't be a whole lot of concern among the Big Ten about that as those as those um, as those leaders get together on the uh, on the call Wednesday morning. The only the only scenario that I see that could really impact Ohio State uh, if they're undefeated, if, if the Buckeyes are undefeated, is if Florida upsets Alabama and Clemson beats Notre Dame. And then you have four one chaos. Yeah, then you, then that's when the whole hey, you've only played six games versus you know when they play their ninth the December nineteenth game versus everybody else playing eleven ish and and that's when it, it becomes a major factor and I think that data point kind of does does matter at least the extra game so I can understand them wanting to get in one more game and and it would have been but the problem is. At this late stage, it, it was it would almost would have behooved the league to have known Michigan's plight Sunday is you know okay they're not going to play this week and so they can move around the schedule versus 
All right, here we are Wednesday. I mean, do you tell Rutgers sit this one out? Uh, you know, Rutgers, if you want to play Princeton this week, well, not Princeton, but you know, you want to play an old Big East <laughs> rival or something. Go. Let's for get the it. Ivy League involved. Come on, yeah. Ivy League, come on down. Hey, 151 years later. You know? <laughs> well, or it would have behooved the Big Ten to have had Minnesota take a close look at what was going on in its program and say, "Are you sure that?" Uh, you Gophers don't need another week off to get yourselves ready for a uh, an axe battle on December nineteenth with your your big rival Wisconsin, and and perhaps Minnesota would have said, yeah, you know, we could we could use that time. But um, Minnesota is going to play this week as as things look on on Wednesday morning. Of course, a lot can change between now and Saturday. We haven't seen it in the Big Ten, but we've seen it in other conferences where games are canceled as late as Saturday. Um, that's something the Big Ten has yet to experience this year. So knock on wood that that doesn't happen here in the uh, the last scheduled week of the regular season. But um, I do want to take a spin around the West a bit here in this, in this episode. Um, most intriguing game of the week in the division is still Wisconsin at Iowa, 2.30 Central Time kickoff on Saturday. Iowa has already clinched second place in the in the division in what looks like a matchup in Champions Week with, well, perhaps Indiana if uh, if the Hoosiers yeah. are 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 good to go on December nineteenth. What interests me about this game most is that Wisconsin has won four consecutive in this series. It's won seven out of eight. The Hawkeyes last beat the Badgers in Iowa City in two thousand eight. So Scott, having seen Iowa every week and Wisconsin on television, does this week look diff- this year look different to you than the last decade? It does because the key separator between these two teams over the last decade and, and, and I'll say this prior to that, these two teams and they still do measure themselves against one another because they're built on similar uh, principles and tenets, not necessarily styles. Uh, but it's really, uh, it's the separator is skill position players and specifically running backs. When you look at what uh, the, what Wisconsin's had, Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, James White, all those guys, Iowa has not been able to measure up, which is insane because it's a running team with the sends NFL guys uh, from the offensive line every year. Uh, it's just to me, I, I think this year though, um, you know, there's a there's a new running back, Jalen Berger from from Wisconsin. He's a freshman. So he's going to be kind of the next line in that, but he doesn't have the resume that uh, Jonathan Taylor did. He was Jonathan Taylor was the only person to ever run for 100 yards against Iowa three three years in a row, and uh, last year was like 250, and that and it was a two point game in Madison, and it was a two point conversion that was stopped two two to three inches shy of the goal line. So it was it, it was a fist fight as it always was. So I think this year Iowa actually is the better team of the two. That said, Wisconsin's defense is so good. It's going to be it's going to be a four-quarter fight as it always is. Let's say Iowa gets it done and and the only time in the last 8 years as I mentioned that that's happened is in 2015, which was a magical year for Iowa. Hawkeyes were just just a uh uh what a fourth down stop away from making the college football playoff uh in that in that Big 10 title game against Michigan State in a in a 13 and 0 season. Um this this year, if this year joins that 2015 season as the only time in in recent 
memory that Iowa has gotten past Wisconsin. Where do you rank this season? I mean, it seems to me that this year for Iowa is like just right on the cusp. The Hawkeyes had opportunities against Purdue, had a golden opportunity against Northwestern with an early 17-0 lead to win that game, lost both of those games, and then have just been on the upswing since then. So you're not all that far away from a perfect season in Iowa City. Um, but they sit with two losses, an opportunity now to beat Wisconsin. If the Hawkeyes get it done, where, where do you, where do you, how do you look at this season for, uh, for Kirk Ferentz and his program? I think overall, you know, in the, when you rank it in history, it's just below the surface of his best years, which would be uh, Big Ten title teams in 02 and 04, um, you know, West Division title in 15, uh, an Orange Bowl team in 09. And it's right below that. So it's probably like fifth best. But I think considering the adversity that this program has faced to the offseason with all the, the racial strife and investigations to the, um, you know, to, to what they faced with COVID, the opening weeks, as you mentioned, losing two games by a combined five points. And they were un Iowa like losses. I mean, they were self inflicted errors. There were 100 pen- yards and penalties at Purdue with two fumbles that were critical. And then um, against uh, Northwestern, they had a 17 0 lead at Kinnick. Now, in a normal year with a full Kinnick, that's probably too much for Northwestern to overcome. Yeah, but, good point. But this year, that's not the case. And they lost. So they lost the game and they played. They had, they had, had their young quarterback throw 50 passes, which was an unbelievable in its own right. And then he threw three interceptions. So um, when you look at all of that and then to be able to come forward and win five straight games by a combined 110 points and be really dominant in four of them, I think it. It's it's been an outstanding year for Iowa, and and by basis of the fact it's moved up to number sixteen in the polls, a New Year's Day, a New Year's Six bowl game isn't completely out of the realm of possibility. I mean, if they beat Wisconsin this week, and then they beat say Indiana, and you have Northwestern lose, and then you have say Iowa State win the. I can't believe I got to say Iowa's got to root for Iowa State, but but that's the case to to win the Big Twelve title, and you send Oklahoma packing. It might move into that 11-12 range um, in the final rankings and be in a New Year's Six Bowl. So overall, this has been an, a, a successful season for Kirk and for the program to overcome what it has, to feel good about itself, and uh, and to play good football. I'm going to offer you a slight variation on what could make this uh, historic season for Iowa. All of those things that you just said, except Oklahoma wins the Big 12 title game next week in Arlington and Iowa State is suddenly available for a a bowl game and you match Iowa somehow with Iowa State in the postseason on New Year's Day and and the Hawks have that opportunity to play their in-state rival and, and get the win this year against what is Iowa State's best team in I don't know you tell me it's it's, ever ever. it's not yeah it's not close it's ever right Um, you know it would be interesting because I think there's probably half the fans would absolutely want that they think that would be great if it's like let's say the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl and it's Iowa Iowa State uh, they would love that I I would say a, a third of the fans would say no way under any circumstances they some of them don't want to play Iowa State at all they don't think and it's it's kind of intriguing that 
up at, well, really up until the Matt Campbell era, you know, they, they were on two different tiers. And there was always this feeling that um, if, if you don't beat Iowa State, it's a horrible year. And if you beat them, so what? You know, what does that, what does that do for you? And, and that really came back to bite them in 2015 because got people like Colin Coward completely consistently calling out Iowa for its non-conference schedule, which was really unfair, by the way. Uh, they played Pitt, and then they, they also play Iowa State, a Big 12 team. But when Iowa State's 3-9 and nine every year, you know, hey. But I would say this, that this that this program in Iowa State is no comparison to what that one was. And I think it would be an outstanding game. It would just be, uh, I think the Cyhawk Trophy would probably matter more than the Peach Bowl Trophy at that point. For sure, you know, count me in the camp that would want to see that game and and would would consider that you know outside of the college football playoff, I can't think of another bowl, potential bowl matchup that would be more intriguing to see this year than Iowa and Iowa State, especially with the way the uh, the last six weeks or so have gone for the Hawkeyes and and really everything for Iowa State since that opener against Louisiana. It's been a um, a pretty magical season. As long as Matt Campbell is there on the sideline and uh, engaged with the with the Cyclones, ready to uh, get get to work in 2021 after a bowl game, um, that that uh, would have a lot of appeal to me, and I think to to a lot of people, even nationally. Of course, the state of Iowa um, would be would be captured by that. But I think there's people out there nationally who follow both of these leagues who would uh, who would embrace that that possibility of having a taste of of September in uh, on on New Year's Day. So. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's really it would be it's one of those games where they could play it in a parking lot and the, the players would be excited for both teams. Yeah. They recognize how diligent that is. And and uh, Matt Campbell's never beaten Iowa. So that would be um, th- that's something that I'm sh- I know he'd be up for. So and I'm, and I know Kirk Ferentz would be game for it as well because even in the summer when the Big Ten became the first league to to make it conference only, then he was like, "Look, these games are great for our state because they also lost Northern Iowa, which was a uh, um, you know which really helps them financially if nothing else." So um, yeah, I, sign me up. I'll, I'll definitely want to cover that game. It just I also know the loser will feel a larger brunt than it normally would in a, in a regular September game. Yeah. Well, we'll have time to talk about the postseason. Um, in the minutes that we have left here in this episode, I want to turn our attention to to a couple other games in the Big Ten West this weekend. Um, Minnesota at Nebraska, 11 a.m. kickoff in Lincoln. The Gophers are set to return Saturday from their own COVID issues after missing games against Wisconsin in Northwestern. Minnesota comes to Nebraska as a double-digit underdog, down more than than 20 players, according to Coach P.J. Fleck. What are we thinking here? You've seen Minnesota this year in person. I know that defense is is questionable, but even without Rashad Bateman, the Gophers do have some offensive firepower that will will test Nebraska uh, at Memorial Stadium on Saturday. They're a formidable offensive team. Now, I didn't see it the night I covered them. They, they didn't play very well, and Iowa did, so that was part of it. But they have a big offensive line, and they can run the football with Mo Ibrahim. He's still leading the Big Ten in rushing and, and is really, in my opinion, an, an All-American candidate. He's, he's been terrific. Uh, Tanner Morgan has had kind of a, a drop-off from last year where he was outstanding, but they've got other receivers. You know, Chris Ottman-Bell is – is terrific and and some of the others that they have so they're going to cause some problems i think for for nebraska's defense that said 
based on what I've seen out of the Huskers the last few weeks, an uh, Iowa, I thought they played well. I played, thought they played hard against a really good team. And, and then last week against Purdue and, and the, the efficiency that I've seen out of Adrian Martinez, I, I mean, I, I think they can, they're capable of scoring north of 40 on, on Minnesota. And I don't know that Minnesota can quite keep up with that unless it's ground game just runs over Nebraska like a Zamboni. Right, and that's what happened last year in in Minneapolis. Uh, Minnesota didn't have to throw the ball with those receivers, those great receivers that it, it had last year. And it was a cold day, it, night. It was snowing uh, at TCF Bank Stadium, and the forecast looks kind of similar in Lincoln on on Saturday. Not supposed to be a great day. I know. I know you've been talking about some some snow in Iowa City this weekend uh, for the Wisconsin game, which would just seem perfect for Iowa-Wisconsin. You know, similar for Nebraska and Minnesota and what the conditions might be. And, and the way that game went last year, it would be uh, poetic, I suppose, if Nebraska and Minnesota play again in cold conditions and Nebraska is able to this time stand up to it. Because a year ago up there, you had Scott Frost just irate with his players for wearing wearing parkas on the field before the game, and he called out their toughness um, in the post-game press conference. It was as, about as angry as I've seen Frost. You know, I, I'd put it up there. His, his level of exasperation after that game was, was on par with what we saw on Black Friday this year at, at Iowa. You know, for different reasons. He wasn't so frustrated with his team. Um, it wasn't frustrated really at all with his team. Well, in, in some ways, for some of the mistakes that Nebraska made late in that game at Iowa. But it was a different kind of frustration last year in Minneapolis. He felt that uh, Minnesota, and I think this is accurate, just just took it to Nebraska. Physically, um, the, the mentality that Minnesota took into that game in less than ideal playing conditions was um, – you know, so much different than what we saw from Nebraska. So the question here, you know, Minnesota is going to need some toughness to get through this because of what's happened to its roster because of these past couple of weeks off. And it's not like, you know, you're going to say, well, Minnesota's fresh because they've had a couple of weeks off. They haven't been practicing. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is not a, uh, you know, an advantage gophers because you've been sitting on the sideline for a couple of weeks while Nebraska's been out there pounding, pounding against uh, Iowa and Purdue. It's not an advantage to sit out when you don't practice. So I don't. I don't want to hear that after the <laughs> the game on Saturday if it doesn't go the Huskers' way. But this is really an opportunity for Nebraska to turn the tables uh, on what happened a year ago in Minneapolis and show the level of um, of improvement of um, of, of th- the way the physicality has has uh, taken it up um, a notch, a few notches in Lincoln over the past, uh, 14 months. So, um, it's an intriguing game for me from, from that perspective. What, what, um, you know, anything else intrigue you about this one? Yeah, it's exactly what you said. I mean, I think what it's going to show is growth out of Nebraska. The Nebraska angle intrigues me more than the Minnesota angle, because I think Minnesota, no matter what happens, it's, I mean, if it loses and, and decisively, well, it's not that there's an excuse, but it's a reason, you know. So you could say, look, we hadn't played for a couple of weeks. COVID isn't exactly like resting a sprained ankle, you know. You can't just say, oh, we're rested. And I mean, right. you're dealing with 
you know, respiratory issues, that's really difficult. And, and so I, I don't, I'll give them a pass on how they perform, but not, but I won't with Nebraska. I think Nebraska needs to show that. And as you said, I mean, going back to that day, I mean, the only thing worse than being told as an athlete or a team that you suck is that you're soft. And if you get your manhood per se, or your, you know, whether or not you're soft or not called out, that's a challenge to you. And I think if Nebraska, you know, a year later in similar weather conditions can can accept that challenge and play the way that Scott Frost wants them to play, then I think then you show, okay, this this team is, it's not been a perfect year. It's been a difficult year at times, but you're showing the growth and the toughness that your coach wants and expects out of you. And I, I think that's certainly possible because, um, just from afar, you've seen it up close. When I watch Adrian Martinez, I see that. I see that toughness. I mean, and toughness isn't just, hey, I, I absorbed a big hit and got up. It's being able to make big plays and big moments and, and keep drives alive and, and do the right thing. And I think you've seen that out of him. And it's just, you know, to me, on the Nebraska side is, can they stop Mo Ibrahim? Because that's going to if they if he runs the way Illinois did on him, that could be a very difficult uh, situation for Nebraska because then then you're pressed offensively to have to play, if not perfect, but you're going to have to execute on every drive, and that sometimes it's just not possible. Yeah, that's not the recipe for a forty point day no. for Nebraska. If if uh, Minnesota and Mo Ibrahim control the tempo, which is I, I would expect is what Minnesota is going to come into this game trying to do. They're going to try to shorten the game. Um, they know that they're shorthanded. They don't want their guys out there on either side of the ball for eighty snaps. So if you can move the chains with Ibrahim and he's the perfect guy to do it in that weather in this league, then you ride that all day. And, you know, he's a guy who's used to getting what 30, 35 carries a game. Mm -hmm. So um, that's uh, that's definitely a, a feasible recipe for the Gophers. And if Nebraska's getting stops on third down, if they're holding him to three, four yards a carry, then that, uh, that bodes very well for the Huskers as, as that game goes on. Yeah. So, one team we have not talked about is the only team in the Big Ten to have secured its spot in the championship game next week, and that's Northwestern. The Cats are on the road Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. State Pride is at stake in Champaign. Perhaps actually, the Actually, it's in yeah, Evanston. Okay. Oh, yes. My notes here say Northwestern will host Illinois at 11 a.m. So I'm not reading. Uh, I'm not reading right. But yes. uh, perhaps, perhaps the chance to play in a New Year's Six bowl for the Cats, um, although they're going to have to earn that uh, win or lose this Saturday, presumably against Ohio State in the the, the Big Ten championship game. What um, What are you looking for in uh, in Evanston? Saturday in the uh, the uh, state pride game. <laughs> I think this is a, a very dangerous game for Northwestern because, as you mentioned, they, they're already in Indianapolis and they're already going to play whoever the East throws out there against them. And um, I, based on what I saw against Michigan State, it's a team that struggles to handle that struggled to handle success. Um, it. It had a, it gave up a big lead early. It came back, but then, you know, Michigan State closed the door. And this is not a good Michigan State team. This is not one of your, hey, even a mid-level Michigan State team. This is this is a very, very inconsistent Michigan State team. And they were off last week, so they clinched the division by not playing, which is kind of odd in its own right. But then uh, Illinois is, is a hungry team. Illinois is a committed team. They've played hard. I mean, you saw them firsthand what they did to Nebraska. Um, Iowa, it was a very – 
very physical game, and they had a 14-0 lead against the Hawkeyes that Iowa had to really bounce back for. They run the ball really well. Um, they control the tempo and clock. They've got good athletes. You know, their defense is okay. It's physical. I think this is a dangerous game for the Wildcats. I mean, they need to win this game. This is a rivalry game for both teams. Uh, but for Illinois, much in the same way that possibly it is for, for Nebraska, this is a chance for them to kind of reclaim their season a little bit. And and uh, doing it against Northwestern, the division champion, will be something that Lovey Smith can kind of tout all offseason. Hey, we, we struggled a little bit this year, especially early on, but we got better and we beat the division champion. Yeah, I think motivation's high for Illinois in this one, um, despite just two wins on the season. And for Northwestern, you know, you don't want to go into that Big Ten title game having lost two in a row and having not won since mid-November. That that's uh, that's backing in, and already Northwestern is going to have its hands full in Indianapolis. So it needs to reverse momentum a bit after the week off and um, the law, the surprising loss against Michigan State back in, uh, in November around Thanksgiving. So the other game is still on the schedule. Uh, Purdue visiting. Am I right on that? It, the game is in Bloomington, set to visit yes. <laughs> still surging Indiana. Both of these teams this week have had some issues and called, called off team activities on Tuesday. So, Wow, we um, we don't know if this game is going to happen and what happens even next week for these two teams. But if it's played, Purdue has lost four consecutive games after that two and zero start, and Indiana just keeps chugging along without injured quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Hoosiers went to Wisconsin and got a uh, got a win in a defensive struggle. So I think Indiana's defense is just far too much for Purdue in this game. And if they play, the Hoosiers are, are going to uh, going to stroll uh, toward next week with another victory. Yeah, I, I agree with that because even though this is a very competitive game for both teams, you, you just see Indiana competing at a different level. And I do not see a drop-off in their performance, maybe the way I would Indiana. I mean, they want to win the bucket. That's, a, that's as big of a game as there is in the Big Ten. It's the second oldest rivalry. Uh, Purdue has been reeling. I mean, what you saw in that first quarter against Nebraska just shows that you, you just don't know the direction of this program right now. And and they're going to play hard against Indiana, but Indiana's a good team. And Indiana has great defenders. I mean, McFadden and Mullen are, are two of the best players in the league on that side of the ball. So I just think that this is going to be um, – a clear Indiana win if they can play. Hopefully they can play because like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, Ohio State, and some of the other games, I mean, this is a historic series that needs to be played every year. This is the only crossover that's permanent, you know, between the two divisions. And it should be because this was the only one that was fought about as to whether or not, because when they decided between East and West, it was between Purdue and Michigan State. And the league said, Yes, Purdue, you can keep Indiana. No, Michigan, you can't. Michigan State, you can't keep Michigan. Um, so that's why it ended up being Purdue going west and Michigan State going east. Yeah, and with all the talk about, as you mentioned early in the episode, with all the talk about Ohio State, Michigan being off this week, if if the Big Ten loses Purdue, Indiana, that you know, don't overlook that. That that is a another game that is just is you know doesn't have the the the, uh, the luster of of a uh, Michigan Ohio State but for for these two fan bases uh, it's uh, it's a game that means so much so despite the records despite Purdue being 2 and 4 
um, and Indiana having a, a historic season, this is one that, that matters a lot to the league and a lot to, uh, to both of these schools. So um, hoping that, uh, that things rebound on Wednesday in West Lafayette and Bloomington and they are able to move toward, toward playing this on Saturday. You and I last week on the show both called for big games from people who did not have big games. On Saturday, uh, Rondale Moore of Purdue was my pick. Garrett Groshek of Wisconsin was yours. Both of their teams lost. Neither player scored a touchdown. Um, it seems, Scott, like this exercise to <laughs> pick pick players to shine was a bad idea, and it can't end soon enough for us, but we do need to see it through. <laughs> so I am going with Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska quarterback who has played well in coming back off the bench the past two weeks. He's 41 of 50 without an interception, more than 400 yards through the air, and has run the ball effectively these past two weeks against Iowa and Purdue. He is my pick in this final game of the regular season um, as it is scheduled. What, uh, what say you about December 12th in the Big Ten West? <laughs> you know what? I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to switch things up because this just hasn't been very good. I'm going to go with a defensive player. And I'm going to go with Davion, yes. Davion Nixon from Iowa. And I, I do want to mention him because he has 13 tackles for loss in seven games. And he is uh, uh, his average TFL per game is the highest in the Big Ten in 10 years. Ryan Kerrigan was the last one to carry that. And that includes... Chase Young and some of the other great pass rushers we've seen. And he does it as a two-gap defensive tackle, which means he's supposed to occupy people. And his first steps are lateral, not vertical. So he has to do a lot of different things, and he's still able to get to the ball carrier behind the line of scrimmage. So I think in a game that's probably going to end up like 13-10, to 10, <laughs> I think he's the one that could tip the balance on a few third and ones and turn them into fourth and twos. So I'm going to go with Davion Nixon. I don't know how that equates to 400 yards passing or you know, and four touchdowns, but if, if Iowa wins and he has a big game, I think it's uh, it's in the same ballpark. Yeah, I think we'll be able to measure it up. And Nixon's one of those guys who – doesn't get appreciated enough in a season like this because usually a defensive player, a defensive tackle, as the season goes on, you get into week 10, 11, that's when the momentum really starts to build for those kind of players because the stats add up. And in a six or seven or eight game season, the stats just don't look as impressive as they do when you've played twice that many games. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that he hasn't gotten more attention this year from the league nationally. Um, definitely a guy who's an All-America candidate for, for Iowa in the, uh, in the middle of that defensive line. So, glad you mentioned him. That will do it for us on a Wednesday morning. In the East this week with Ohio State and Michigan off, Rutgers and Maryland get that 11 a.m. time slot to themselves. You've got Michigan State and Penn State at 2.30. Please listen to the big football show every day colton pouncey and austin meek will be here thursday with the latest i'm sure there will be news to react to subscribe on apple and spotify review the show give us a five-star rating and of course subscribe to the athletic for coverage from all of us and much more thanks for listening